Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, folks. Thank you. All right, just checking. I was just seeing if I was talking to a live audience this morning. That's good. Good to see you all. Um, privileged to open God's Word uh, for you this morning. Um, happy May long weekend. I know this is uh, a neat phenomenon that we've witnessed here in, in Lloyd as walk around in the month of May, early, late April, and you see all the trailers and the boats start to appear in people's driveways. And then this weekend, they all seem to make their way out of town. And so uh, it's kind of a, a neat thing uh, to see. So this series is called Choose Your Own Adventure, and uh, it's not a series really about choosing whether or not you're going to skydive or go heli skiing or bungee jumping. It's about making wise choices in our lives. And it's really about choosing to seek God first and to make him the priority in our life. And in this series, we're looking uh, into the life of Josiah. Again, this is my favorite Bible character. He became king at eight years old, but um, he also became known for his passion for God. And so just to refresh your memory, let's look at 2 Kings uh, 23. This is the last thing early scripture says about him. It says this, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Choices are very, very important. And we're going to see that Josiah, as he became king at eight, made a series of choices in his life that led to the point where he was known as the king who sought God more than any other king in Israel and Judah at the time. When I was a teenager, the importance of making right choices was really uh, driven home to me, and it was emphasized to me by my dad. Um, during my teen years, I wasn't making the wisest choices in life. In fact, I was making choices that were leading me and other people further and further away from God rather than closer to him. And my dad, one day when I, when I got home, um, there, was a, there was a letter waiting for me. And I opened up that letter, and, and my dad in that letter just emphasized the importance of choices, the importance of, of, lo- of the, well, the, the realization or the reality of the fact that our choices have immediate context consequences, but they also have long-term consequences. And that letter meant a lot to me. I wouldn't say it maybe transformed me in the moment, but it has impacted me from that moment on in the way that I speak, the way that I've taught young people over the years. Our choices are so incredibly important to us. Each and every one of our choices has an impact. It has, it has a result, and our choices do matter. I'll give you a, an example of just a, a small way that our choices make impact in our lives. Yesterday, I decided that I'd go out for a, a bike ride, um, and so I headed south of Lloyd on the dirt roads. Everybody on the East Coast laugh when I just do a gravel grind because it's a perfect square. You know, um, out east, it kind of the roads wind a little bit. Out here, it's just like this perfect square, and I always laugh at my Strava lines. But so yesterday, I'm, I'm biking, I make it to the dirt road, and I have my headphones in, I'm listening to a podcast, but I just couldn't quite hear it. I wish I would say that I was, because I was biking so fast, but the wind was blowing. And so I, I reached down into my pocket, my pocket zippered, and I started pushing the, what I thought was the volume up button on my phone. 
And nothing happened. Nothing got louder, so I, I hammered it again. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? This is weird. And so just as I'm riding along, I unzip that pocket, and I start to pull the phone out. My phone starts to ring, and I said, great. Who have I pocket dialed? Well, the next thing I hear is 911, what's your emergency? And I was like, uh-oh. I said, there's really no emergency. Well, where are you? And I'm like, I don't know what road I'm on. I'm like, somewhere south of Lloyd, I said. And she's like, you sure everything's okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Well, let me transfer you to the other dispatcher. So I got to talk to two lovely dispatchers yesterday morning on my bike ride. But just simple fix to that. Instead of just pounding away at what wasn't working, I should have just taken the phone out, looked and realized I was hitting the wrong button and turned up the volume, and then it would have been fine. So our choices, all of our choices have impact. All of our choices have consequences. And when we think of our spiritual lives, we always think that our choices, we need to think that our choices either draw us closer to God or push us further away from Him. And we have to understand, too, Many times we look at people and we see these either great accomplishments or, or great failures. We look at somebody and they're, they're leading people to Jesus. And you're like, well, that's absolutely amazing. They've decided to, to head up a ministry. They've, they've started caring for people in their work environment in ways that are just, just phenomenal. And we look and think, man, that's an amazing choice. Like, that's just awesome. And then we see other people who make terrible choices. And we see the consequence of that, whether it's through, through family breakups, through relationship breakups, through, through just tension in the workplace because they've chosen just to be miserable. And you think, why are they making these big decisions? And I think what we need to understand is this, that when we see these big decisions manifested, it's because over a course of time, a number of little decisions have been made which result in the big decision. And those decisions can either be good and positive or they can be negative. And we have to be sure and we have to be firm that we are going to choose those things that lead to good results and good spiritual growth in our life. So let's pray today and then we'll look into uh, Josiah's story a little bit more. Father, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning. I want to thank you that, um, that you love us, that you want us to be close to you. Thank you that you desire the very best for us and that you've shown us how to have your best. And so, Lord, I just want to pray now that you would just, just guide us as we, as we hear your word and receive it today in your name. Amen. So we're going to look at uh, Josiah's next choice uh, along his life, and it's found in Second Chronicles 34, verse 8. And it says this, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land of the and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of, of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. One of the things that I really like about this, this way that the chronicler recorded Josiah's story is he, he takes the time to reference when these decisions were made. We see his first decision to seek God was made when he was 16 years old. And then at 20, he begins to purge the land of the idols. And then here, we see that he's 26 years old when he begins uh, to repair, do the repair work on the temple. And I think the thing that we have to realize is that spiritual growth is a process. Spiritual growth is a, is a process of wise decisions, of, of seeking God, of getting rid of sin, and then repairing the temple. We're going to talk about that today. And we have to understand that that we may look at somebody and say, man, they're just, how come they're just killing it for God? How come they're doing so much better than me? One of the reasons may be because simply they're just making better choices in their life. 
But another suit could be that they're just further along in their maturity. They've, they've had more exposure to the word of God than us. They've, they've made choices longer in their life. And so don't be discouraged where you are in your spiritual life compared with others. But evaluate yourself on whether or not you're growing, whether or not you're progressing from where you are now, where you were last week, where you were last year, to where you are today and where you want to be in the future. And so Josiah... He looks around and, and he's, he's sought God, he, he's seeking God, he's purging the land, and then he looks to the temple and he realizes that the temple is in, in disrepair. And the temple in its original uh, uh, building was built by King Solomon. It was built about 300 years before the time of Josiah's reign. And this is the area, the place where really God's glory, his beauty, his power was to be manifested, the fact that his presence was there, um, also a place that people could go for repentance and worship and celebration of who God was. It was really designed to attract people to God. And Josiah um, looked at this and it had begun to fall into disrepair. As we think about the beauty of the temple, um, I did a couple of internet searches today. It's it's hard to find a, a specifically accurate number. But if you looked at the value of the temple, if we were to take the weights that they give us in Scripture today, of the gold and the silver and the timber that was there, and you were to convert that into today's prices, the material alone would cost about $140 to $200 billion dollars to rebuild the temple today, just with the gold, the silver, and the wood. I mean, Solomon spared absolutely no expense in, in really building a place that just manifested how great and how glorious God was. I was curious, 140 to 200 billion, where does the real estate today compare to that? So I looked on a number of different websites, and the most expensive house in the world uh, today is Buckingham Palace. And if for some reason you had the opportunity to buy Buckingham Palace, it would cost you a mere $6.7 billion. And so as we think of our greatest architecture, most valuable architecture today, it doesn't even come close to comparing to the value of, of Solomon's temple back then. But in the time of Josiah, 300 years had passed, and the temple was in need of repair. This wasn't simply because it was an old building. We all understand that old buildings need repair. It's because the people had turned their hearts away from God. The priests had stopped serving the way that they were supposed to be and leading the people. The kings had turned people's hearts away from God, and, and they had chosen to worship other gods, and they had transferred their reverence for God to reverence for, for other gods. And so Josiah, he continues to seek God, purge the land of idols. He looks at the temple, and he says, this needs to be fixed. This needs to be repaired. It, the, the glory of God really needs to be restored in this place. And so he, he decided to repair the temple. And then as the repairs were going on, the story takes an interesting twist. And we see that as it continues on in Second Chronicles 34. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law, the, uh, the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and they've given it into the hands of the overseer and the workmen. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from the book before the king and when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, 
Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Aziah, the king's servant. Craig, I should have given you this one to read, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book uh, that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that was written in this book. As Josiah, uh, as the word of God is being read to him, a terrible realization comes over him. The people of Israel and Judah had failed to uphold God's standard of his law. He also recognized that because of their disobedience, God was going to punish him. You can see the rest of this account in, in uh, verses 22 through 28. Uh, uh, um, Josiah sends these men to Huldah the prophetess. And he says, you know, we deserve God's punishment. What, what's going to happen? And the summary is this, she says, you know what, Josiah, punishment is going to come because people have turned away, but because of your repentance, because of your tender heart to God's word, we are, God will hold that punishment off until after you pass away. So there's an amazing thing here is Josiah is seeking God, he's purging land, he's rebuilding the temple, he's responding to God's word. His actions not only drew him closer to God, his actions also had an impact on the people around him had a very good impact on the people around him, and it really held off God's judgment in their life um, in, for the years that he was alive. And so today, how does the story of Josiah relate to us? How does this choice to rebuild the temple and to respond to God's word, how do we, how do we respond to that in our lives? Let's think about uh, rebuilding and restoring the temple uh, for a moment. As we saw, the, test of the Old Testament temple was that place to manifest God's presence, to, to really show what he was like. And Paul in 1 Corinthians, as he's, as he's talking, he's, he's got this quite long section or this quite intense section on fleeing sexual immorality and, and really being pure in our bodies. But then he says this at the end of that section, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? who you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so Paul is writing this passage to believers, to those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. And when we place our faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. He allows us the opportunity to, like the temple, be a place where God displays his presence and his character. Not only that, our lives are to be lived in such a way that the people around us look and see what he is like. Basically, we have the opportunity as people look at us to show them what God is like. See, that was God's original purpose for mankind. He created Adam and Eve in his likeness. In its, its simplest form, that meant that they and their offspring were really supposed to be living examples to the people around them of what God was like. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve brought that to a really crashing halt. Genesis 3, Genesis 3 describes what is known as the fall. Instead of choosing to be, obey God and to be in a relationship with him, they chose uh, to reject him and to disobey him and to really reject that relationship that was available. And that image that people were supposed to see when they looked at, at us and the, that image of God that was supposed to be seen was broken. It was damaged. And, and we were not able to do what we were called to do. And that choice of Adam and Eve spread to all of us. In Romans 5.12, we see this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Sin brings death. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are spiritually dead when we were born into this world. 
And that temple, that, our, our lives need to be restored. Our, not, our lives need to be made new. And God has allowed for this restoration, this rebuilding, this giving of new life by sending his son, Jesus, into the world. The penalty for sin is death. Jesus took that death upon himself when he died on the cross. He took the punishment for our sin, and he rose again, and that guaranteeing us that eternal home, that eternal life if we believe in him. The Bible describes it this way in Titus chapter 3. It says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. What we need to understand here is that we are born dead in our sins. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be made alive. And, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He regenerates us. He gives us life. What was dead and unable to do what we were designed to do is brought to life through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can, for the rest of our days, be living examples of who Christ is and who God is and to be in a relationship with him. God is restoring the moment that we place our faith and trust in him. God begins in us this lifelong process of representing him. But he also begins this lifelong process of restoring us, re renovating our hearts to get rid of what is sinful and to put on what is good and right and holy. And last week, Doug preached a really great message on purging the land, getting rid of idols and, and turning away from sin. If you haven't seen that message, it's on YouTube or it's on our podcast. You can go either of those. I'd encourage you to listen to these three messages. are all just following Josiah's life and these choices that he made. And last week, it was all about purging, getting rid of the old. And Doug said this really stood out to me. Too often we settle for a little tune-up so that we can do a little better. God, however, is in the overhauling business. And so God's ultimate plan is that every ounce of our sin nature is removed from us. That doesn't happen until we get to heaven. But now in this world, we get to work alongside of him and we get to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to, to poke and to pry and to prod and say, this is not right. This place in you is rotten. It needs to be replaced. It needs to be restored. And that's what we get to do. We get to work in concert with the Holy Spirit. We get to ask God really to say, God, please remove what is causing death in me, what is harmful to me and what is harmful to others and replace it with what brings life and restoration to myself and to other people as they interact with me. And I love Colossians chapter 3 that, that Craig read for us uh, earlier this, uh, this morning. Just put these, we'll put these back up on the, on the screen just to look at it again. And I want you to think about the putting off and the putting on. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Again, this is what Doug was addressing last week. Put these things off. Purge these things from our life. But the Christian life isn't just a bunch of don't, 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 don't. Get rid of, do this, get rid of that. You know, and oftentimes that we, we really kind of present it as God's just sort of this drag that just says don't do all of these things. But there's this beautiful second part to uh, Colossians chapter 3. There's this get rid of this, but 
replace it with what is life-giving, replace it with what is holy, replace it with what is pure. And, and Jesus said, I've come to give them life to the full. And the, by putting these things in our lives in place of what is sinful, that will bring truly fulfillment, that true fulfillment, that will bring us a truly fulfilling life. So let's look at what we're supposed to put on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing one another, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's quite a contrast there. The next slide, there's a list that, that sort of contrasts the things that we are to put off and the things that we are put on. And if you take a look, yeah, just as you read down through those, Think about the consequences of, of the things on the left side. Do those bring you closer to God? Do they enhance your life? Do they enhance other people's lives? Do they allow you to show people what God is like? And then take a look on the, on the right-hand side. Read down through that. See, what God is saying to you is he's inviting you into this amazing renovation process to say, this is, this is what your life would be without me. These are the passions of, a, of, a, of the sin nature. These are the passions of, of, of what are really contrary to God. And God's saying, get rid of those things, but replace them. Don't leave an empty void. Replace them with compassion's heart, kindness, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, thankfulness, being focused on God's glory. See, guys, the Christian life, that renovation isn't just a, a destruction. It's a rebuilding and a restoration from what God created us to be originally, which is a reflection of his character and his nature. And again, it has to be a deliberate choice on our part. It has to be this, this action that says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. The Holy Spirit's there. It's giving me the power and the ability to do this. I have to trust you that what I've held on to is no longer worth it, has never been worth it. And I'm going to trust that what you have for me is so much better. This isn't an easy process. And as I'm reading through Colossians chapter 3, um, just re was reminded of a, of a scene from, from the voyage of the Dawn Treader. I don't know if you guys are into Narnia. Narnia is an amazing series. A series. I'm a sucker for good stories, and C.S. Lewis writes some amazing stories. And uh, Parker's been working by himself, and so he's been asking me to, to send him uh, these, these old stories. We had to focus on the fa family radio drama of this. So I've been sending him that, and it's got me interested, so I've been listening to them again. And this passes, this process in Colossians chapter 3 of removing what is old and, and putting on what is new, C.S. Lewis does an amazing job in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader describing how that takes place in our lives. And there's this young guy, and his name is, is Eustace. And Eustace, is, he, he got pulled into Narnia, and he's not a pleasant person at all. Um, he, just, he just is rude. He is unthankful. He is hateful to the people around him. And, and through that process in his life, he eventually becomes, in this, in this story in the land of Narnia, he turns into a dragon. And it's in his dragon form that he realizes how bad of a character he's been. 
And he realizes the need for, for the change in himself and the way that he treats other people. And in his dragon form, that, that change begins to take place. And then one night, uh, the lion Aslan comes to visit him. And Aslan, uh, in Narnia series, is a representation of, of who Jesus Christ is, a representation of Jesus. And Aslan leads him out of the place that they were to a, to a pool, a very beautiful, pure pool. And he, and he says to Eustace, he says, he says, you need to take off those dragon scales before you step into the pool. And Eustace, he would, he would take away the scales. He said, as soon as I took them off and I lay them on the ground and I was about to step into the pool, those scales would come back. And so he said, I do it again. I think three times in the story, Eustace on his own strength takes those scales off. And then as we pick up the story, Eustace is describing this to, to Edmund. He says this, then the lion said, then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me take the scales off. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when we began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I, as I thought I had done it uh, myself uh, the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby-looking than the others had been. And there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and, a sm and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned back into a boy again. You'd think, me, you'd, you'd think me simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own arms. I know they've no muscle and are pretty moldy compared with Caspian's, but I was so glad to see them. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me. Dressed you with his paws? Well, I don't exactly remember that bit, but he did somehow or other dress me in new clothes. It's a beautiful picture. C.S. Lewis captures it so nice. That in our lives, in our lives even of, of renovation as the, the Holy Spirit works to replace the old with the new. Eustace three times tried to remove that by himself. And I think how many times do we do that in our lives? We take sin, we look at sin and we feel guilty in the moment for what we've done. And we say, oh I'm sorry, I promise I will never do it again. I'm sure most of you have done that. I won't do that again. I won't do that again. I won't do that again. And yet, really, we never get to the root of it. We just really are trying to appease our own guilt. And no matter what happens in those moments of just that light confession, it comes back. It comes to a point where we need to come to God and say to God, God, I need you to get to the root of this. And like Eustace says, that lion tore into him almost right to the heart. And he said, as I looked back at that, it was so much the thicker and deeper than what I had peeled off myself. And there are times when we have to let the Holy Spirit dig deep into our lives so that we can remove not only the, the effect of our sin, the, 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 you know, the, the result of our choices, but the heart behind those choices. And let the Holy Spirit transform the very heart 
so that we are no longer desiring to do those things. And so we're addressing it not out of guilt for what I've done, but we're addressing out of the fact that I don't in any way want to offend the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans chapter 12 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's desire is that our lives are transformed. His desire is that we allow him to make the necessary changes to remove what is, brings death and to, to replace it with what brings life. We have to understand that this is an ongoing process. We can never think, oh, I've got that sin licked. I've got that beat. As I was thinking about this process in our lives and, and trusting God, I was thinking back to our house in Truro. We were there for 15 years, and we painted the house a, a couple of times inside the walls and, you know, got them, got them all done up a couple of times so they'd look fresh and new. But there was a couple places in the house that just seemed to need constant attention. There was, you came into our back door on the, it was a split level, you came into our back door, and we were in the kitchen sort of eating area, and then we had, you know, a half wall into the, the living room, and then to the left is the hallway down the hall. And that corner by the fridge always needed an extra little work as people were turning down the hall and then the railing on our stairs seemed to always get marked up as well and that was because many days the boys and I would have nerf fights and the only way to see around the corner is to peek with the gun so you don't stick your whole body out and get shot and the constantly chipping away of the the plaster on the, those corners to the point where there was eventually the corner bead was showing you had to put the plaster and repaint you see, in our lives, we can never relax. We can never say, I've got that area beat. We have to be constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to, to look and see if there's any corners that we've kind of left unattended. We need to catch those, those little things before they result in big, decision, big things and result in poor decisions. So we need to allow the Holy Spirit just to be constantly into, in looking into our lives and saying, hey, this needs to change. Hey, don't let that area slide. Keep up this demonstration of my presence in life. Keep up this manifestation of the fact that I am making changes in you. And this is what, this is what we need to do as an ongoing process. So as Josiah is doing that, he's rebuilding the temple. Again, we see that the story takes another change, another twist. And in 34.14 says, While they were bringing out the money that had brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Now this is a fascinating thing because as they're repairing the temple, the place that was to manifest God, uh, God's glory and, and his person and who he was, for a period of time, we don't know how long, there was nobody reading or referencing God's law to see if they were being in obedience or if they were in disobedience. The book of God's law had been lost. Uh, as you look at commentators, this was either the book of Deuteronomy or, or the first five books of the Old Testament. More than likely, it was the book of Deuteronomy. And when God gave this law to Moses, he had instructions for two very important places that God's word needed to be um, read constantly. First one you see in Deuteronomy 31, it says this, when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in the book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. So the first place 
right beside the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be a copy of God's law. A copy of God's law that the priest should be able to reference to make sure that the people were walking according to God's laws, that they were not walking in disobedience, but that had been let go. Nobody knew where a copy of Scripture had been. The second place that this copy of the law was supposed to be was with the king. Deuteronomy 17 says this, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. This is interesting. The king was to take the time and write the law out himself approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it uh, in, in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and the children of Israel. So the kings were supposed to have the copy of God's law beside them at all times. The priests were supposed to have the copy of God's law in front of them all the times. And for a period of time, because of the disobedience of the kings and the priests, God's law had been ignored. So now you have a young man who's been seeking God, I believe, for about 16 years now. And the book of the law is brought to him, and we see that Josiah in 2 Chronicles 34, 19, it says, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and those number of other people, go inquire the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in the book. So he's 26 years old. He's been tracking really well spiritually, making some really great choices in his life. And then he reads God's word. And he realizes, oh man, I got a long way to go. I got a long way to go. As we think about Josiah and we think about him responding to God's word, I was confronted this week. Josiah, as he read that, as he hears God's word being read to him, the Bible says that he tore his clothes. And that was an outward sign of of, of sorrow and mourning and, and repentance. And I got thinking to myself, when was the last time? When was the last time that I really let God's word penetrate that deep? When was the last time that as I read God's word and I saw that there was sin in my life that I actually, like, just was sorrow? That I was in sorrow. Guys, too many times I read God's word, and and perhaps you do too, and I see that there's sin that I need to confront, but I, I just take it lightly. I excuse by it. I don't realize what a deep offense it is to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Quite honestly, more often than not, I'm more concerned about my own personal good feeling about myself than the deep offense that I have caused against the creator of the world. And folks, as we read God's word, we have to understand how valuable it is As we read God's word, we have to understand its authority in our lives, and we need to understand that when we read it, if it confronts something that we believe or society believes, we need to understand that it is right, that it is the authority, and that we have to change our lives according to what we see in God's word. We see 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. Guys, the Bible is the blueprint of the, of the renovation that God wants to do in our heart. It is the one that exposes, hey, this part of your life is rotten, but here's what I can replace it with. We have to understand that it's God's word given to us so that we can know him, that we can be in relationship with him, and that we can be at peace with him. Peter says this, and we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy is given, prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Folks, God loves us. He wants us to know who he is. And he very carefully told the people what to write so that we could know how to live for him and to love him. As God's word confronts us, we need to be willing to sorrow over our sin. Not wallowing in it, that's not the gospel at all. We don't wallow in sin, we recognize it, we are remorseful, we are repentant for, uh, for that. But the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness our sorrow needs to be one of just man I have offended God but then we need to ask him to help us to change that area of our life and then to receive that forgiveness it's not a sorrow of wallowing it's not a sorrow of self-pity it's a sorrow of I'm really sorry that I've offended God and I want to make sure that with his help I do not continue to do that in in our lives today as we close as we think about Josiah ah, there's just so much good in his story so many good choices we're going to see next week what is the last choice that, that we have that we're going to look at but today I want to challenge you take some time let God's word become more prominent in your life think about the time that you spend in God's word on a monthly, weekly, daily basis and ask God, God, can I do more? You know, I, I, you'll, you'll never be sorry for spending more time in God's word. You'll never be sorry for learning more from him. Sometimes is it hard? Is it complicated sometimes? Yeah, it is. That's a good way if you get complicated, if you get confused, ask somebody a question. Bring them into the conversation. Say, I don't understand this. What about this? And then as a result of your asking that question, you're building somebody else up so that they can know God better, that they can be brought along in their spiritual walk. But I challenge you, this week, take some time, read over Colossians chapter 3. Look at that, that blueprint, blueprint for renovation. Say, God, what's in my life that shouldn't be? And help me to replace it with what you want to be there. Take some time this week, even if you, you know, whatever your regular Bible reading, continue in that. If you maybe say, man, I've got to start, I've got to start somewhere, I would encourage you this. We're going to encourage our small groups to do this uh, this week as well. Psalm 119 is broken up into eight verse sections. Take each day, just take eight verses. It's a beautiful passage on God's word. Just take eight verses and read it and learn more about God's word and how amazing his word is. Just consider those eight verses. Start there and read that. I think it works out to about 22 days of being able to read and, and to study and to understand more about God's word. 
He loves us. He wants us to know him better. We need to be in his word so that we can know how to carry out that renovation process, to work alongside of him so that our lives are brought in accordance with what he wants them to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you love us enough to want to, to renovate us, Lord, to steer us away from what brings death and steer us towards what brings life. Father, I just want to pray that we would recognize the authority of your word, that we would recognize the fact that, um, that it is the blueprint that we need to follow to be at peace with you, to live our lives to the fullest way possible. So, Lord, I pray that we would value it, that we would respond appropriately to it, and that as a result, you would change our lives and the lives of the people around us. I thank you in your name. Amen. Have a great week. Enjoy the long weekend, and look forward to seeing you next Sunday.